That music means your next hour is going to be about connection. Welcome to This Show Is All About You, a show dedicated to discussing and experiencing the things we all have in common. When you and me become we and explore what it means for all of us. Here's your host, historian, writer, social commentator, and a whole lot of other things, J.D.K. Winnekin. How do you get everybody? Welcome to another episode of this show is all about you. Thanks for taking time on this Labor Day to uh, spend the next hour with me or whenever you're listening to this. Uh, uh, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to do so. If you are listening live, happy Labor Day. If you're listening as a podcast, thank you so much for doing so and for leaving uh, a, a review for me. I really appreciate it. You can also uh, interact with me directly at my website, wordsbyjdk.com, or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-I-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me rather easily. Right at the outset, I want to make sure I thank this show's generous sponsor, Airway Science for Kids, for their continued support. You can check out this amazing nonprofit organization at airsci.org and see all the different ways in which they offer life and career pathway opportunities to underserved youth by the exploration of aviation and aerospace. And they do it in a number of different ways. And you'll hear more about them during the break. And actually, you're going to hear more about them today because my guest is directly connected to them. Uh, And I will introduce her. She's a familiar voice uh, to the listeners of this show. She's back on because, honestly, last week's show about baseball fired her up around a certain subject. So here we are. Uh, But before we introduce her and dive into today's conversation, let's do a quick recap of the news in this segment. What in the world is going on? Let's circle For many, it's a nightmare scenario. Shells landing just miles from Europe's largest nuclear plant. Zaporizhia's become a flashpoint in the war in Ukraine, with both sides blaming the other for the artillery strikes that threaten the site and neighboring towns. Nine people were injured in shelling in the nearby town of Enerhodar on Sunday night, according to a Russian-backed official. Last week, shells landed about 100 meters from Zaporizhia's reactors. It seems like something out of a really bad action movie, but it's actually real and and threatening, world-threateningly so. Uh, of course, we lead off the show by talking about the war in Ukraine, which uh, continues unabated and seemingly is going through some very significant shifts. One you just heard about, the Europe's largest nuclear reactor literally in the crossfire uh, between Russian and Ukrainian forces, with each side uh, blaming the other for that situation. The, the fact is, is it's a Russian-controlled area run by Ukrainian workers but occupied by Russian troops. And so in that sense, the responsibility of what's happening there really in the end lies with Russia. Because if they weren't there, <laughs> guess what? You know, so in the end, as far as I'm concerned, they bear responsibility for what's happening there. At the same time, elsewhere in the country, the Ukrainians have launched their counterattack in the south. It's one they've talked about doing for a long time. Uh, directly assaulting the Kherson region and elsewhere. Recent attacks on Crimea and attacks on the Russian Black Sea Fleet have been a part of that. 
and of course, a renewed commitment from the United States uh, and other European powers to not only send in weapons, but also to make direct statements that they are supporting Ukraine in the long haul uh, are indicative of perhaps a very important part in this war emerging at this point. And of course, there is the ever approaching reality of winter in this part of the world, which is going to change the dynamic there uh, extensively. Also, Vladimir Putin this past week uh, said uh, on state TV that the Russian military needed to be beefed up, which means they'll be drafting in more people and sending them into combat. The effect that will have on the combat zone, no one knows. The effect that might have on uh, everyday Russian support for the war might might be uh, consequential. We don't know. What is clear is that with things like a nuclear reactor in the way and food uh, distribution still threatened, the global ripples of what's happening in Ukraine uh, continue to reverberate around the globe. And so for that reason, we keep a close eye on it. Uh, and in our, our second clip, uh, a rather careless statement, I think, by a U.S. senator is what we're going to talk about. Of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. This kind of rhetoric is just incredibly reckless. Uh, that's Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina speaking on Fox News earlier this week, uh, highlighting what he and many Republican defenders of former President Donald Trump say is the double standard uh, going on between the FBI's investigation of the at least 184 top secret or higher classified documents found at former President Trump's uh, home in Mar-a-Lago and the FBI investigation into then Secretary of State Clinton's use of a private email server to look at similar classified information. And what I would say is both situations were not ideal, certainly for handling classified information, something that frankly, Donald Trump ran on in 2016, which was the entire precursor to the big lock her up chance that became sort of the unofficial slogan, besides making America great again, uh, of the Trump campaign. And he based his main attack on Secretary Clinton on that. Of course, what Lindsey Graham is talking about of conveniently avoids that whole reality. Uh, it certainly warranted an FBI investigation, and the FBI did investigate and decided that pursuing anything further against Secretary Clinton was not going to work. The charges weren't warranted. Every situation is different, and somebody like Lindsey Graham should know better. And frankly, Lindsey Graham's got other things that he needs to be worrying about, like why is he resisting speaking to a Georgia grand jury about the phone calls he made on Trump's behalf during the election to try as Trump said, find me 11,000 more votes to overturn the election in Georgia and turn it in his, the national election in his favor. Putting out statements like that, which since Lindsey Graham made them, Trump has doubled down on, on his uh, social media platform. All it is meant to do is scare people. And the idea is to somehow scare off the Department of Justice, which doesn't work, <laughs> historically speaking. They tend to do what they're going to do. And second of all, just produces a lot more anxiety among uh, everyday Americans on all sides of things. Uh, it's incredibly reckless. It's, uh, it's not even guaranteed. I mean, it's just one person's opinion. But it also completely, to me, highlights the complete denial that Graham and others who support the president on having these documents, what they're engaged in. Um, and unfortunately, it's not going to lead anywhere good. 
All right, to wrap up this portion, one last clip of something that I think is a lot more exciting and a lot more fun to talk about than those two things. And finally, to the outstanding fans of Seattle. You cheered loudly for me as a new player that first game 21 years ago, and you never stopped. Ah, that brings such warm feelings to my heart. That is Ichiro Suzuki, a baseball legend who played for most of his career in Seattle for what is my favorite team, the Seattle Mariners, speaking uh, not too long ago at a Hall of Fame induction ceremony for him into the team's Hall of Fame. And uh, he's he's been since retired for a few years. But I was at that game and saw that speech, and it's one of the few times Ichiro has actually spoken in public in English. Um, and he was he is one of my favorite players of all time. He might be, and I thought about this and talked about it with friends, he is the most completely talented player I ever saw uh, play. I never saw anybody go from first to third so quickly on the base paths or track down fly balls in right field as quickly or throw guys out from deep outfield at third base or at home plate the way he did. And he was a, a consummate hitter. He could hit in any direction. He could hit for power. He could hit for base hits. He thought everything situationally, and what was always so impressive about him was the amount of discipline he had and how he combined it with his deep passion for the game, the history of the game, and his appreciation for where he played. Seattle has struggled to field a winning baseball team for a very long time, and he never let that stop him. And he was one of the best players in baseball, no matter how the team was doing, and he approached the the game the same way every day. And because of that, he actually literally has dozens of baseball records in Japan as well as in the United States to claim as his own. And it was so fun to be there at the game to honor him. And, of course, I bought my Ichiro jersey, which I am wearing today uh, in the studio, which you cannot see. But if you could, you would see it's fabulous. The person who can see it is my guest today. (laughs) And she's laughing at me. Uh, and that would be uh, Julia Cannell, the executive director of Airway Science for Kids. Yes, the sponsor of this show uh, has agreed to come back on because talking about my passion for baseball last week, I asked everybody, this doesn't have to just be about baseball, what I'm talking about. What are you passionate about? And Julia immediately upon hearing the episode talked to me and said, oh, I have lots to say about passion. So Julia has decided to join me for a talk today about passion wherever we want to go with this. So Julia, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Thank you. And spoiler alert, mine won't be sports. Like none of them will be related to sports. <laughs> For those of us who know you, we are not shocked by this whatsoever. No. Uh, but no. I, I do know that, um, you know, there are areas of passion that you have. Airway Science for Kids, uh, their mission is just one of them, but there are others. So let's just start, you know, in this, in the time we have left in this first segment, what was it? What about passion came up for you from last week that you wanted to talk about today? Well, it was really interesting for me because, um, the topic of the Mariners, one of my very best friends who passed away 15 years ago would almost put you to shame for being a Mariners fan. Mm. She was, she was, we worked together and we would have to listen to every game every minute of every game by the way i think after nine innings everybody should just be allowed to go home like they should just go stop we're done 
and everybody gets to go home. Blasphemy. <laughs> but I appreciate I appreciate the dedication of people who are willing to stay there through that. And I think what really struck me was I very much was raised by two people who were incredibly passionate about either their careers or about what it was that they did as a hobby. Mm -hmm. And so my entire life has been sort of about that. So it always kind of surprises me when I don't know what people are passionate about or when they don't know what they're passionate about. And I think it's an important topic. Okay. So, I mean, in terms of important, how, in terms of living a, the best quality life you can finding a purpose, where do you see passion fitting as such an important part of being human? I think probably the first place I see it fitting is knowing who you are. Mm. When I think about <clears throat> raising my daughters or situations where you have these people who they're not entirely sure what they like, but they're sure what everybody else likes. So they want to be passionate about that. Uh. I think, I think really having to sit down and go, what am I passionate about? Not what do my parents want me to be passionate about or what do my friends want me to be, but what am I passionate about? And it doesn't have to be what you're going to do as a career. It doesn't have to be, this big inspirational thing that's, you know, amazing. You have these great stories about baseball and I'm like, I like airplanes. That's just, I like airplanes. I can't <laughs> tell you that I like airplanes because I saw an airplane fly one day. It's mm -hmm. not how it is, but, but I think it's important. And I think as we're talking about kids, especially the kids that airway science serves, mm -hmm. we want them to understand that passion is possible. Right. A lot of these kids come from backgrounds where, just getting through the day can be a challenge mm -hmm. and having the resources just to make it through this week with their family or mm -hmm. whatever that might look like to be able to take them to a point where you can say, not only are you going to make it, but let's find something you're passionate about and let's help you make it in that area. To me, that's incredibly important. Mm -hmm. Have you found that in all of the work you've done with kids, not just with airway science, but you know, you, you know, the foster system really well, you know, you know, the larger, um, larger programs that are out there for underserved youth in your experience, uh, what is it about passion that changes the game for these kids? I mean, you hinted at it a little bit just then, but but play that out a little bit more for me. Any and any maybe even a specific example you can think of. A lot of them just haven't been exposed to it. It's it's just it's not even a conversation. It's survival, mm. and so they don't reach the point where they they get to actually get really excited about something. I remember. One of my foster children, um, she was very quiet when she came to live with me and she was very quiet for several months and, and she liked to do a lot of things and she really liked making people happy. So whatever you like to do, she would like to do. But she came home one day and she was so excited because she loved jump roping. And she found out she could, she could try out for a jump roping team, but we had to learn how to jump rope line dance. Oh, in order to do it. Now, none of those words should go with Julia ever. Like line dancing, no. <laughs> Jump roping, no. It's just, it's just a hard path. Me too. <laughs> but she was so excited about it that we found ourselves and the whole family just got really excited about it. And I realized it was really the first time she had something that she just got to go, this is this thing that I like. I don't care if anybody else likes it. I like it. And she was only seven. Mm -hmm. But she loved it. And she didn't make the team, but we all know how to line dance, so. There was that. How did she, she didn't make the team. How did she react to that? Not making the team. Did she, did she lose her passion for it? Nope. She was perfectly happy that she could still go jump rope with her friends. Mm -hmm. That there was just another way to do it. Right. Yeah. You know, it brings up the idea that uh, you use the words uh, early on, uh, but connecting passion and possibility, right? It's, yeah. and, and for any human being, it seems like, you know, dealing with possibility is a life challenge, right? You know, what's possible, what isn't, but that passion can be such an important entryway to kind of push people beyond 
that uh, that scaredy cat zone maybe or that that reluctant zone to jump into something is probably much easier. I would think if we're passionate about something to take it forward in possibility towards something that it would be if we weren't passionate about it. And I, and I think for, you know, one of the chain, one of the <clears throat> challenges with a lot of the kids that I've worked with is not having that passion. I mean, I remember being like five years old and building silly little airplanes out of scraps of wood. Cause like, I loved airplanes the entire time. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've always, I mean, for as long as I can remember. And, and as I think about my kids, it, it, there just wasn't that they either hadn't had the experience or they hadn't had there just have been nothing that really was like oh my gosh i can do this i enjoy doing this there's such a shift in what i think we're used to as we look at sort of the the stereotype of what children are like what you know mm-hmm. elementary school kids are like or kindergartners are like and then you work with kids who come from these historically underserved backgrounds especially the ones that have been through abuse or neglect and that's not how they are they they don't I had uh, children placed with me and the first day I had a whole room set up. I was so excited. I had a whole room set up with toys and with all these things for them to play with. And they sat down at this table with all of these toys and started crying. And I was like, that's not how I thought that was going to go. They'd never played before. Mm. They were four and six years old and just had never played. Wow. And, and so it really, you're reminded of the importance with different kids of, of helping them find something to be passionate about. What was the shift there that you had to make in that moment? You recognized they hadn't played before. What then? Where'd you go? I sat down and started showing them how, mm. which was really challenging because we were going to draw things and that's not my strong suit either. So Did they get there? Talent. Did they get there? And, and one of them became very, very passionate about drawing. Okay. And, and they did get there, but it, it literally was sitting down and saying, no, no, this is, this is how we play. And, mm-hmm. and this is what this experience is like. So it was really stopping and going back to what, what my biological child I did from the time she was born. She mm-hmm. grew up with it. With with my foster kids, it was just a completely different set of experiences. Wow. Wow. That's a really powerful story um, and, th- and shows really clearly the importance of this topic. So let's take a quick break, Julia, and we'll just come right back to that um, when we return here on This Show is All About You. Stick around, everybody. Kids never have trouble dreaming about their future. The challenge is providing them the resources and opportunities to reach them. This is especially true from historically underserved communities. Fortunately, there's an organization that can help those dreams become reality. Airway Science for Kids helps underserved youth develop life and career pathways through exploration of aviation and aerospace. Using in-person and virtual programs, along with partnerships with companies, educational institutions, community health providers, and other resources, Airway Science for Kids helps students not only find their dream careers, but also learn how to better advocate for themselves and connect more effectively with their families, peers, and communities. To find out more, visit airsci.org. That's A-I-R-S-C-I.org. Or email info at airsci.org. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace for all. Welcome back, everyone, to This Show is All About You uh, for this Labor Day 2022. 
talking with Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. And we're talking about passion and the importance of passion in not just motivating kids, but just in life in general. And uh, Julia, we left off last segment talking about uh, working with foster kids and kids who've never been exposed to what a lot of people consider to just be basics, right? Play in this case. And the need, the need to really, I would think in that moment, you had set up all the things you thought they would need. Recon- they showed you that there was something missing, right? They had to be introduced to that. Uh, what has that taught you about, like, for example, with the kids with ASK, um, you're, it's airway science for kids. It's, it's life and career pathway opportunities through aviation and aerospace. You're introducing them to aerospace. How does that go for them, particularly if there's going to be kids who maybe aren't as interested in it as another kid is? I think one of the things that we really try to do is make sure that, especially with younger kids, we're involving the whole family Mm. and we're making it something that the whole family might be interested in. But we try really hard to make sure that there's such a diverse set of experiences available. You know, people talk about aerospace and they might think like, you know, you talk about astronauts or aeronautical engineers or pilots or flight attendants or air traffic controllers, some of these things, but there's everything. I mean, there's artists in aviation. There's mm-hmm. artists all over in aerospace. They, there are people who design uniforms. There are all these different things that kids can do. So it's really just helping them see what they're interested in and, and going through some different things. I, I did an event last week and this we had an activity that the kids were supposed to be doing. This 14-year-old girl looks at me and she's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm <laughs> not really used to that. And I was like, hey, well, what, what do you want to do? And she was like, I don't know. And I thought that's a standard answer for a 14-year-old. Right. So we went through sort of all of the different things that were available to do. And she was most excited about putting together the cutout rocket we had that people could stick their faces in and take their pictures. Huh. But she got super excited about it because then she'd have everybody come up and get their picture taken. And and I'm like, huh, well, that's, and that's what, what she thought of. That's what she liked. And huh. it gave her a chance to, to do what she liked to do, which was use her camera and take pictures. Oh, I see. I was wondering where the, mm-hmm. where the connection point was. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and so then, then what, how do you see things like that playing out? I mean, these are ki- kids who don't have these opportunities. It sounds like providing opportunities for kids to recognize their passion or find it perhaps, and then have a way to express it seems to be like the magic sauce that you're talking about. And it, and it really is. It's, you know, we talk about, we, we can talk about the stories of all of these famous. And the thing about aviation is people who like aviation tend to be a little over the top passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Like we love it. Like we all call ourselves nerds or geeks. And we totally understand that. Like we have this, this weird thing about airplanes that normal people don't have. Um, <clears throat> and so explaining to kids that this is what I get really excited about. This is what I love. What about it? Do you like, or what, what don't you like? Mm-hmm. What interests you? And so, so having a staff that has very diverse interests, we have staff members that love creative writing. Mm-hmm. which I wouldn't, wouldn't be my thing. We have staff members that, you know, do that do drones, that do 3D printing, that do all of these different things, trying to give kids a complete set of experiences where they can find that connection and say, oh, wait, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I could try that. And and helping them understand that, you know, maybe, maybe the job they choose won't be Maybe they really are interested in the solar system, but they don't want to go into to a career that way. Mm-hmm. But that's okay too. But sometimes your job pays the bills so you can spend your off time going and doing the stuff you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know, it's funny. I think about myself with, 
aviation and aerospace. And I'm, I'm a big fan as well as listeners of the show know, and Julia, you know, very well, uh, love that stuff. And one of the things I'm most fascinated by is, uh, um, traveling in space, right? Just the idea of launching rockets into low earth orbit. And then of course, with the upcoming Artemis missions back to the moon, I'm super excited about it. I'm fascinated by it. I'm amazed by how difficult it is and how many different parts have to fit together. I've, I had never had any thought really of becoming an astronaut or being a part of that process. What I have found so inspiring about, about space travel and, and so, and why I'm so supportive of, of efforts to go back to the moon is that I really believe that out there is such a way for us to, to find out what's more possible for us. You know, the idea of going to Mars doesn't necessarily have any, direct utility to day in day out life right we're not going to be mining from there we're not going to be doing bringing anything back but the very idea of going somewhere that everybody has said was impossible of human beings going beyond their their preconceived limits to me the lessons of that go so much further beyond just whether we're going to the moon whether we're going to mars you know to what degree do we care about what's out there to what degree is what's out there how does it unite us rather than all the things that divide us, right? All the things I led the show with. You know, to me, if that was the only lesson I ever got as a kid about the importance of space travel and space exploration, it seems to me that would be a really worthwhile one because it makes me want to focus on possibility and the best of what human beings can bring to the table and the best we can be. That's what comes up for me with that. So is that something like if you have a kid that comes out of that, something the same way, have you done your job? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's always looking at what's next. It's always remembering that there is possibility, especially, and it's and you said it, right now where people seem to be passionate about being angry or passionate about, you know, taking one side or the other. Are, mm-hmm. So much energy is going into this. And I think reminding people that there's that bigger picture, you know, in, in looking from the Wright brothers to when we went to the moon, there was a short period of time and there was all this possibility. And then look how long it's taken us from going to the moon to going back to the moon. Yeah. And that possibility went away. It just sort of ebbed and flowed with how popular it was or how much purpose mm-hmm. there was to it. But I think about some of the um, individuals that are in the space industry that I have worked with that are so incredibly passionate about mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. that even I, who am not particular passion i mean i don't understand it well enough to like Mm -hmm. like i get gravity and i get aviation but the space part i i don't understand it Mm -hmm. they'll make i'll get excited about it talking to them and and you know seeing what they see and and being able to understand that there's so much more than what we can even imagine Mm -hmm. go to mars really i just yeah i know i know it's wild you know and it's and it's funny because i'm sitting here thinking about as you're talking about this how we could be talking about this as just as applicable to people in our age groups as, as we could be talking about with kids, right? And certainly with underserved youth, the, the challenge is to not only, you know, put out there these different possibilities, but also, you know, Pathways is also giving them help along the way, right? And helping them develop skills that school may or may not teach them or they may or may not have uh, instruction in at home. So with that in mind, like what... How do you see the relationship between the passion that's so important to ignite, right, or help kids explore, and these, for lack of a better term, these 21st century skills of communication and um, being able to really focus and get things done? And, you know, how do you see those working together? Because passion by itself, 
won't necessarily do what we want it no. to do. No, and it's really exciting. But if you think about the things you're passionate about, you know, you maybe they're not the best work skills. Like you could sit through a baseball game that lasts three years. And <laughs> if you were doing that as a job, that might not be the best thing to, to, to do. <laughs> Sounds like a great job, actually. But. I can watch air disasters for like 14 hours straight <laughs> because that fascinates me. And I'm passionate about learning from the whole thing not really the best life skills for for kids it's helping them understand how all of that fits together mm -hmm. how you know being passionate about something doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything else it doesn't mean that you don't have to learn those skills how do those skills fit into what you're trying to do mm -hmm. i wasn't somebody that liked any of the stem topics science technology engineering and math just no thank you right once i learned how to fly it suddenly became very important that i, I at least understood some of those different concepts. Mm -hmm. And then I was willing to go and learn about them. And, and we talk about everything from communication skills to basic writing skills to being able to show up for work on time and, and helping kids understand why those things are important. Mm -hmm. It's like, remember, you used to have to do the, the train leaves the station at this time and the train leaves the station at that time in math. And we'd all go, I don't plan on being a train conductor. So why do I care? Why do I need um, to care? <laughs> showing kids that, you know, here's why we care about being on time. Here's why we care about teamwork. Here's why we care about understanding how to work virtually mm -hmm. and in that different environment um, and why it matters mm -hmm. for them to be able to do those things and how they're going to benefit from them. Right. Right. So then they're exploring it out of a desire to really pursue that passion and making it right for them rather than being told this is how things are supposed to go. Uh, human beings tend not to like that too much, right? Being, being told, I need to do this because this is how it's done, right? Right. Seeing the value of it. I mean, I know plenty of adults, you know, present company included, who don't, yes. like, don't like being told that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can almost guarantee I won't want to do it if somebody tells me I should right. do it. Right, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. And yeah. and it's, and so it's, but what's interesting is I think that as adults, there's there's always the the, possibility and the threat of forgetting that we're doing that as adults. And we're talking about kids who have not necessarily been exposed to any of that before and are still developing emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, you know, and so introducing them to those things in ways that are safe, but empowers them to see why they matter to do is really the secret, isn't it? Because then just like for any of us, if think about anything we're passionate about, we're probably passionate about the things that connect to it because it seems useful for what we're passionate about. It seems intuitive, yeah. but maybe it's not. Right. Right. And, and I, I'm not sure that it is for everybody that, mm -hmm. that connection of this is why I should be able to do this thing. You know, and I think there's a little bit of a challenge with kids. You want to teach them that, that, you know, that saying failure is not an option is so not true that, that they're going to fail and, yeah. and that they're going to make mistakes. They're going to be able to do this. They're going to go try things that they think they love and then they're going to decide they don't love them and, t and helping them understand the difference between discerning that way and just trying something once. And if you don't like it, just quitting. Mm. So, so that ability to really, you know, self-regulate a little bit more and okay, I started this at what point do I just go? Yeah, that's not my that's not my thing. Right. It's not, right. It's not going to work, but not also giving up the first time you try something and it doesn't work. <laughs> kids are so much better at that than adults are. They're like, whatever. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, and it's, it's, it's so funny because there's plenty of things that, you know, and then even discovering something you love that after a while you just don't anymore, you know, right. you know, some, some things just run their course. I mean, it's, and how does, how do people deal with that? 
right? You know, it's, it's, and one of the things I always worry about and, and sort of the messaging that kids get, particularly in you need to go to this college, you need to pick a career that, that gives you financial security, whatever, is that you have kids who follow all these various steps to what they've been told their whole life is possible for them or what's ideal. And then even if they reach them, they get there and they go, this is it. When really, that's really where the passion, the education, the emotional intelligence, all that is so important mm-hmm. when things don't turn out to be as they appear, you know? Yeah. And it seems well, like a real struggle much, that we have. With this and how much pressure do we put on very young students mm-hmm. to make that commitment? It's with Vogue Tech prob- programs, I've always gone, you know, I, I'm 57. I'm still kind of trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. The fact that we think 16 year olds can go, Oh yeah, I learned how to cook and this is going to be what I do for the rest of my life or whatever the program might be, whether it's computers, whether it's anything else, you change a lot from 16 to when you graduate from college or mm-hmm. your mid twenties, when you're in that job, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you acknowledge that? How do you make those changes? How do you not consider it a failure? That's just going to, that's just it. Right. Know? Right. I'm done and, and I can't do anything else. Right. And, you know, and you think of, of the times in life where adults, you know, have malaise and things, whether we're talking about it's in a career or in a marriage or in a family, how much of that has to do with the expectation that once you do A, B, and C and it leads to Z, everything should be fine. Right. You know, it's, um, and then it's not. And then suddenly the questions become, well, what did I do wrong? Where, where was the mistake? You know, that, that type of what did thing. somebody else do wrong? What did somebody yeah. else do wrong? Right. Exactly. <laughs> So I, I always find this fascinating because, you know, this conversation, because we're talking about how to introduce kids to these things effectively, particularly underserved kids who don't have the resources that a lot of other kids have. But we're really talking about um, a set of challenges that even adults have, right? So it's not just introducing underserved youth to these concepts. It's helping them take perhaps some, some steps that are healthier from the very beginning and more beneficial then what a lot of us resources or not maybe have had in the past, right? Right. Well, and how many of us with resources have parents who were, you know, sure that we should become a doctor or Mm -hmm. a lawyer or whatever else it might be. And we had the resources to go through that education to do those things, but no actual interest in it. Mm -hmm. Um, A few months ago, we were doing a program with, with a group that would come in on Saturdays and it was parents and the people that work for this organization and students. And we would do different activities, do different things. We'd bring in guest speakers. And, And when we finished the six weeks of this program, we were doing sort of a celebration and one of the women that worked for the organization came up to me in tears. And and you get that with the kids because kids are so inspired and the parents are inspired because their kids are inspired. But this woman worked for the organization. She didn't have kids involved. And she said, you know, I never knew that somebody that looked like me could do these things. Mm. So you're not just inspiring. She was 45 years old. She said, you're not just inspiring kids. You're inspiring me too. Mm-hmm. Because nobody ever said I could do this. So if, if maybe I could do this, what else could I try? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was so odd because having been raised with that, you know, what are you going to be passionate about? She just, nobody had ever said, yeah, you can do this. Right. Right. And she's probably at a point where that realization of, you know, what, what life has been, maybe where she once was, maybe where she once wanted to go, all of that, you know, mid forties, mid fifties, all of a sudden you're, you're looking at things 
a little bit of a different situation than you were when you were in your 30s or and I suppose it depends. It depends if you have kids or you didn't have kids or you know what your life experience has been. But that universal thing of I didn't know this was possible is yeah. something we all face. I mean, how many people, I can't tell you how many people I've met who are in their, you know, 40s and 50s who the idea of going back to school for something just seems like, oh, why would I do that? I, that's like going back. Really? Is it? Right. You know? No, it's not. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. have it doesn't have to be, right? It doesn't have to be. You know, and so it's it's always interesting for me because, you know, 10 years ago, I would never have seen myself doing exactly what we're doing right now, right? right. Never well, would have seen our, yeah. myself, you know, doing this type of work uh, and having this type of conversation you know, and having yeah. writing the things that I write about and all those things. So to me, I think that's what's so interesting about this topic is even though we're talking about it in regards to kids, this is something that people can plug into from any age, any background. This is something that is so human. And I know that that fuels my interest in what airway science is doing. And it, it sure seems like that's, it's gotta be the lifeblood of why you do what you do. Yeah, it really is. There's, it, it's funny because you look at people when they retire and how many people do you know that retire and like, they go find something they're going to like, my grandma started speaking Spanish and learned to drive a motor home. And I was like, all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> total quiet librarian type. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, you, you, you go do you. Right. But then there's those people who they retire and they don't, they don't know what to do with themselves. Yeah. And I think there's sort of those stages in life. Like as a child, you're trying to figure those things out. But then, like you said, sort of that mid forties, mid fifties for people who, you know, depending on when you had your kids or didn't have your kids mm -hmm. sort of you're at that. Okay. Now what, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's, Oh my gosh, my kids are gone. Now who am I? Or, Oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm 45. I'm halfway through my life. Who am I? And what am I doing? And I think being able to, to make sure that you're reevaluating and saying, okay, I'm, did I sort of give up on what I was passionate about? Is there mm -hmm. something kind of missing and realizing it's going to change. I was reading an article earlier where they said something about finding your passion and they're like, you kind of just know what it is. Like, <laughs> think about that. Like you don't, it's not, you're not shopping for it. It's not, Oh my God, I got a great deal on Amazon. And I found my passion. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. you know, you don't have to, you don't have to invent that. it. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Julia, when, when we come back from break, let's, let's talk a little bit about where some of this uh, happened for you. Uh, because I know that you're, you're coming back into this work a little bit later, having done some other things. So let's talk a little bit what that's looked like for you uh, when we come back here on This Show is All About You. Stick around, everybody. Julia Cannell, Executive Director of Airway Science for Kids. We sponsor this show is all about you because it exemplifies our core values, connectivity, communication, emotional intelligence, positivity, respect, and the power of possibility. Help us introduce historically excluded youth to all of these through the wonder and promise of aviation and aerospace careers. Airway Science for Kids, providing aerospace to all. Visit airsci.org to learn more and to contribute your talents. Don't ask me to talk. Don't ask me to talk is a program about sharing something good. Hosted by me, Stacy Heller, with my co-host and my mom's favorite, Eric Ryder. Don't ask me to talk echoes what we're talking about when we aren't being so serious. We'll highlight what's good to watch, read, see, listen to, and more with a reoccurring spot with Vance Dingfelder of Dingfelder's Delicatessen called "What Are We Eating." 
Tune in Thursdays from 3 to 4 on AM 880 KIXI. Welcome back, everyone, to this show is all about you. I'm your host, J.D.K. Winnikin, here with Julia Cannell from Airway Science for Kids, uh, talking about passion and how Airway Science for Kids helps kids uh, ignite that passion uh, for whatever it might be by exploring aerospace uh, opportunities and topics and things like that. But uh, not a surprise, Julia, that we've morphed into a larger conversation about passion and life in general. And, uh, you know, I've always thought it very interesting that, that, you know, we talked before the break about how, you know, people go through all the steps of quote unquote, what they're supposed to do. And it might be very things they were excited about, right? Getting a career, starting a family, right? Raising kids, you know, all that type of stuff. And they get to this point mid forties into fifties about, well, what's next, Right. And it's interesting because on, on one level, we have all this activity of what's supposed to happen before that point. But then pretty much all anybody ever talks about is beyond that point is retirement. Did you go? Did you put enough into retirement? Um, and are you maybe going on trips? <laughs> that's, that's about it. You know, but I know your story is really interesting because you're you described yourself as a as an airplane nerd. Right. A foamer, as my dad would call him, foaming at the mouth. Yes. But yes. you spent a lot of your career life not in aviation and aerospace, right? So how did, take us through that for you. How did you get to, back to your passion here? Um, I went to college for aviation. So I learned to fly when I was a teenager. Uh, my dad was a pilot, so I grew up with airplanes. I, mm-hmm. I quite honestly, I think I was born an airplane nerd and it just <laughs> continued from there. Um, right after I, I graduated from college, I became a foster parent, which there's there's shows that tell my story that, you know, you can get that. But at, at 25 years old, I became a foster parent mm-hmm. and there was such a need for it that I remained a foster parent for almost the next, well, for 15 years. Okay. Um, and during that time, I worked retail and, and I was, I mean, I really like shoes, but I'm not passionate about shoes. I was a shoe buyer for a, a major retailer and mm-hmm. a managed departments and different things, but it was the best thing best career I could have, especially as a single mom, because the schedule worked better with my kids. And I will say, as passionate as I am about airplanes, um, I'm equally passionate about social justice mm-hmm. and about kids, especially mm-hmm. my own, because they're fantastic. <laughs> and and so I did take this break where I was doing a lot of things and I would still drag my kids to the museum. Um, my youngest daughter will tell you she has taken naps at more museums than more aviation museums than most people have ever been to because <laughs> she's just, she would always, it was just the two of us for the last five years before she left for college. So it, she, she got stuck with it, but really I, I hit what so many of my friends, what so many other women hit when their children go off to college. You know, our whole goal is to raise our kids so they can be adults, so they can go out on their own and they leave. And all of a sudden it's this, oh crap moment of now what do I do? Mm-hmm. For so many of us, you're, my whole focus was on getting the kids to that point, get, you know, doing these things. And, and quite honestly, as cliche as it sounds, it sort of forgot who I was. And and what that looked like. And so by the time my youngest left for college, I had made a commitment that I would go back to school. Okay. That I would first get a job that I really loved doing. And I got a job at the Museum of Flight. I started out working. It, it all worked out beautifully. I started out working in the store because I had retail experience, which is one of the few ways you can get on at the Museum of Flight. Mm-hmm, sure. um, and ended up staying there for years. And then also going back to school um, at Embry-Riddle. One of my goals had always been to get a degree from Embry-Riddle. Because I'm a nerd, and the so aviation and I, I university, up, right? The preeminent yes, aviation yes. university in the world, yeah, right. Yep, 
Okay. Absolutely. And and so I ended up getting my degree, um, two degrees, two master's degrees from Embry Riddle. And and so for me it was it it took it sort of took that process of what do I do now? I mean the kids are gone, what do I do now? Mm -hmm. And then remembering who I was mm -hmm. and where do I go from there. And I had the advantage of because I had my kids so young, I was much younger when when they were all off and on their way. I mean, I was only in my early forties when mm all the kids had packed up and, and gone to college. And so it was both good and bad. The good part of it was I still had the energy to go out and go, okay, now what can I do? And, right. and what do these things look like? And so it's it's a process for people. So now when I have friends whose kids are getting towards the end of high school or things like that, I always say, start to look at who you are. Mm -hmm. And people tend to look at me and think, oh my gosh, she's always known this. She's always known what she wanted to do here. And I'm like, I don't know. It, it took me some time to get back to where I, where I needed to be mm -hmm. once the kids were gone. Mm -hmm. Was that something while you were raising the kids and you were working retail, even though you're not passionate about it, was that, was that an easy choice to make because the kids were involved? Was it something you were aware of that you weren't engaged in your passion or was it just, I'll wait, I'll, I'll worry about that later. What was that like for you during? It, it was really just, it was a career that worked so well Okay. while raising kids that it never I mean, it was fine. It wasn't. And, and there was that part of it that being a foster parent and dealing with court and with all these other things that come with being a foster parent is emotionally draining. So there was that part of it that working retail was, I mean, it, it didn't occupy a lot of mental space. Like you went to work, you did your job and you went home and you weren't taking a lot of it home with you. Uh, it wasn't something really heavy or really serious. So it was, it was kind of nice to have that thing that I could do that literally lives weren't depending on decisions that I made. Mm. Um, so I, I was aware that, that it was a, it was a trade-off because it was what worked best for the kids. Right. Right. And, and obviously you weren't necessarily pushing them to develop a passion for buying shoes. Right. So, no, so you're helping, no, you're helping actually, these kids develop other passions. Right. And I actually made all of my, my daughters go work retail for um, a while when they were in high school. So they would not want to do that as a career. Because <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> it's a good way to learn it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And then yeah. learn what you are interested in and what you're not. So. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you have a passion for something in retail, yeah. right? Which plenty of people do. Um, right. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it's a good way to recognize that maybe you don't want to go there. Uh, that's for yep. sure. That's for sure. So in a lot of ways, you know, what you're doing with Airway Science for Kids, it sounds like a convergence of a lot of your passion points. You know, you obviously have a passion for children and social justice and aviation and aerospace. So this sounds like the perfect job. Yeah, it kind of is. My daughter always says I have the strangest skill set in the world, and yet I still <laughs> manage to find jobs <laughs> that it fits. And she's kind of right. But it is, for me, um, knowing how much my life was shaped, my father's life was shaped by aviation mm -hmm. by just that passion i was raised by a man who had come home from every trip that he flew and he would be like i cannot believe they pay me to do this he loved what he did and he loved flying so when he wasn't flying for work he was flying our planes mm -hmm. and then we'd meet pilots who were like yeah it's fine and i'm that didn't fly outside of work that it was that was their that was their retail job that was they just went to work to, to fly planes because huh. it worked with their career goals but they weren't passionate about it, which I almost thought was very strange. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I guess everybody's different. Uh, it would seem to be yeah. a lot of really specialized training and work and, uh, focus <laughs> to have to do that. Uh, and money. And money. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not <laughs> easy to get into. To just go, 
yeah, you just go, nope, nope, that's not it. And my mom, my mom, I mean, my mom was born in 1939. So she was very much your purpose in life is to raise your children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she didn't work until we were older. And, and she, she worked as an office manager. She was phenomenal at it. She loved what she did. She loved, you know, the people that she worked with, but what she really loved was rescuing animals. Mm. And so when she retired, she really got into that. And it it, it, it became sort of a full-time second job for her, but she loved doing that. And it Mm. has kept her now at 83. She's, I always say she puts me to shame. She's like so energetic and so, you know, happy and all of these things. And she was passionate about saving animals and, and that's what she did. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, and, and sounds like that gave, that continued that energy, that passion, that rigor yeah. and that vigor, I should say, not rigor, uh, mm-hmm. in her own life. Um, we should yeah. all be so lucky to be getting to 83 and be, be full of, full of life and excitement and energy, you know, yeah. around something like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, well, and your father has a passion. Yeah. Talk about trains. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he does. He does. And, 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 you know, the other, pa- other passion he has is just learning new things. Um, you know, he's, he's an interesting guy cause he'll, he, he was listeners of the show. know he was a pastor for years. So he ministered to people. He knows the Bible backwards and forwards. He really loves to learn how things work. Uh, you know, I think he said that had he gone another direction in life, he probably would have become an engineer of some sort, maybe a train engineer or maybe a, you know, civil engineer. Uh, but he loves model trains and he has the patience and, you know, to do that and to work with really small things and he builds big layouts and that type of thing. But also because for so many years he was ministering to others, I think it's the main reason why he loves to learn new stuff. I mean, it's, it's just something as basic as looking it up on Google as we've joked before, we call it kenning something, you know, and, but he loves that. And it's been really fun to watch and talk about giving somebody vigor, right? Those things do. So it doesn't, you know, that's the thing, the things we're passionate about, they don't necessarily have to change other people's lives, right? You happen to be in a, you know, bringing all this together in such a way that, that you're helping literally, wow, thousands of kids. How many this year? Kids has asked help. 3,300 so far this 3, year. 3,300 so far. What was the goal? Uh, 3,000. Wow. We aren't even year. in the fourth quarter yet, Julia. It's pretty good. Yep. Right. So, you know, it, you don't have to necessarily, those passions don't necessarily have to do that. They can be for one's personal enjoyment, right? And have value right. because individuals matter, right? Mm-hmm. You know, my dad's not going out teaching model railroading to little kids, Right. But he doesn't need to. (laughs) And and your mom, you know, is helping animals, which just by itself is a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Absolutely. You know, and and so, I mean, that always raises those those big questions. Right. Is, you know, we I think sometimes we as adults say, well, you know, I'm passionate about this, but it doesn't really contribute anything or it doesn't necessarily help anyone. Uh, What about helping ourselves? Right. Right. Giving us value. Make you happy. Right. Makes us happy, helps us helps us cope with a with a world that sometimes seems completely crazy or out of control, right? It helps us be better to our neighbors on a on a day by day basis, nicer to the person uh, who's making our coffee or checking us out with our groceries, you know that that type of thing. Um, yeah, it's funny. It doesn't have to be this huge, right? Big no. thing. No, I really enjoy taking pictures. Like I love taking pictures, yeah. um, but talk about something that's just for me. My my primary um, subjects are 
flowers, <laughs> um, tombstones, old fences, old barns, and I really can't even think airplanes. of anything else. Pretty and good. airplanes. And airplanes. And airplanes. Or airplane parts. Like, I will just take a picture of a throttle or of something because not the whole airplane, just the airplane parts. I'm not doing that for anyone but me because most people look at my pictures and they're like, I'm sorry, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, well. <laughs> I've seen your pictures. They're good. Don't give yourself a little more credit. That. Yeah, give yourself a little That's more credit. Some of them. Some of them, but they're very much pictures I take for me. They're right. they're very much, you know, that's just that that thing that I enjoy doing. But it reminds me, I didn't start doing that until probably 10 years ago, mm-hmm. too. So it's, you know, it's something that, again, I don't think passions are a fixed thing. Like oh, yeah. at 60, you might decide nobody really needs to sit through 14 innings of baseball. <laughs> just... <laughs> Let's not get, let's not. not get in an argument here at the end of the show, huh? <laughs> let's not let's not do that. Uh, but yeah, I love I love what you just said. I mean that 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 passion is is lifelong and it it changes and new things new things can be found, right? New skills, yeah. new interests, uh, and and be indulged in. Um, and you don't have to be a kid, right? No. <laughs> to to do that. And so, um, yeah, I think that to me is is. The key, because if one develops a passion, whatever skills need to come with it, much more likely to embrace them um, when the passion is discovered rather than let me just learn these skills and see what I can discover out of it. So, and I guess the thing, and I guess the thing with passions too is what is it that you're spending a lot of your time thinking about or doing? Maybe that's your passion. Right. Right. And, and it's something that makes you want to stick with it. Right. You know, it's again, I love my job most of the time. Mm hmm. But there is still that that time that's spent doing the things that aren't nearly as much fun being an executive director. Yeah, right. But it gets me by because I know that that all of this is having an impact. Though mm-hmm. although sitting through a board meeting might not seem like it's really having an impact. Um, but I know that there's a there's a greater picture and that it is doing something. Right. Right. Well, I appreciate that point as well. Julie, we are out of time. We just went we went oh, all the way through this. Geez. I don't even have time to it, do all my thank yous. So uh thanks oh. so much for coming on. See, we got so caught up in passion. So I'm quickly gonna thank you, Julia. I'm going to thank you, Eric, here in the studio for all the work that you do. I'm going to thank Ichiro Suzuki for giving me years and years of fantabulous ballpark memories. And I'm going to thank all of you out there for listening to another episode of This Show Is All About You. Check me out at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out wordsbyjdk.com. Let me know what you think of the show, any other guests you'd like to see come on. And until next time, I don't even even have a haiku for today. So just have a fabulous day. And I'm going to go celebrate my birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday to me. See you later, everybody.